This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for July 12th, 2019. In this week's episode, what is browser fingerprinting? U.S. officials worry about encryption. A 17-year-old vulnerability in Firefox is found. And do you know how long Alexa stores your voice data? Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Josh, have you ever had your fingerprints taken? I have, yeah. I've, I've, I've worked at places. What did you do, Josh? No, 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 no. It's it's places where I've worked. So I've I've worked in the public school system in the past, and so um, obviously they, they they have to check out um, employees who are going to be working in schools um, for good reason. So yes, I never had my fingerprints taken. However, once when I was in college, I was in the student union, and uh, the, there was a police precinct a couple blocks away, and someone called up and asked if they could send five people over to be in a police lineup. So. <laughs> So a bunch of us went, we were in this police lineup. We were kind of worried that they would pick one of us, um, but no one took our fingerprints. The reason I'm asking about fingerprinting is we got a question from a reader asking, what is fingerprinting that is blocked by some browsers? We've talked about browser fingerprinting in the past. Uh, It's not an actual fingerprint, but there is a way to pretty much identify you uniquely among the billions of people using the internet, or at least among many millions, just because of your browser settings. Can you explain how this works? Yeah, well, basically, there's all kinds of unique things about you that your browser might be able to divulge to a website just by virtue of, you know, needing to uh, have a two-way communication between your browser and the site that you're connecting to. Um, There are some things that are pretty basic. Sometimes your browser will tell the website what type of browser it is. So if you're using Firefox or Chrome or Safari uh, or any number of the... Or Waterfox, like you. Yes, <laughs> any number of the alternative browsers that we talked about last time. Um, and so that's just one of many, many different types of information that might get shared from your browser to the site that you're connecting to. Here's an example. Um, there's a website called miunique.org, and you go there and you get a browser fingerprint. So we both did it before the show. Uh, some some of these things narrow you down pretty quickly. So for instance, um, it's showing macOS, Safari version 12, my time zone, and my language. Only 13% of people are using macOS. 3.5% of people are using Safari. 0.71% are using version 12. A lot of people haven't updated. Only 19% of people are in my time zone. And 65% are using English. But if you put this all together, um, it narrows it down. And in fact, uh, I am totally unique. My fingerprint out of 1.16 billion people that they have collected, my browser fingerprint is unique. What about yours? Uh, mine is also unique. Um, not surprising so much because I am using Waterfox, which automatically <laughs> makes me different from... So what percentage of people does it show using Waterfox? Uh, 0.14%. 
<laughs> now, and again, I mean, these are people going to amiunique.org. Um, yes. Another interesting point on there is that it says my IP address uniquely identifies me, which I find kind of interesting because I'm actually using a VPN right now. So this is a, a you know a shared IP address. It's not my own personal IP, but just the fact that nobody else has visited amiunique.org from this particular IP address makes that uniquely identify me as far as this website is concerned. Okay. Or could it be that no one has visited in the past month or six months or something? It could be, yeah, it could be a time thing about this, Um, but uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. I recommend that everyone go there and look at it because I'm going to bet that you're all unique. And as you go down, you see things like user agent. So that's the type of browser and content encoding and real IP, as you said, then you get JavaScript attributes. Then you get things like the screen height and screen width and screen depth. Um, that's not the screen height. That's actually the browser window size. Right. So in my case, um, uh, the way I have my Mac set up is my Safari window is on the left side of the, of the screen, and it takes up about two-thirds of the width. And my mail window is on the right. They kind of overlap. So I've picked a screen width arbitrarily, so it's not filling the screen. If you're on a laptop, your browser may fill the screen and you'll be a lot of people like that. But in my case, just my browser width is enough. Uh, only 1.44% of people have the same browser width as I do. Yeah. This is actually something that, if I'm not mistaken, I think Firefox recently added or has said that they're going to be adding soon um, is the ability to sort of modify that so that it's not sending the website exactly what your precise, you know, window size is, but rather give sort of a general idea so that um, the website cannot quite as uniquely identify you based on your, on your window size. It'll, it'll match it to something that's a little bit more vague. It gives the website a, a, a pretty good idea of what size your window is, but without giving them the exact numbers. What I find interesting is when you get down to the bottom, um, there are some flash elements that are scanned, and it says flash not detective, and that matches 59.52% of people. So as you say, the people who go here are people who are already security conscious. 60% of people essentially don't have flash installed, yet 40% do, even if they're security conscious. And use of adblock, uh, no, which is the same as 49%. Well, I don't use adblock, but I use a different ad blocker, and that's not being detected. Another kind of interesting thing about this, uh, about the report that I got is that, of course, I have JavaScript turned off because I'm a geek. And um, that automatically also reduces the number of, you know, uh, people that it could be that are connecting to the site. Um, Again, even though a lot of people visiting this site are very privacy conscious, um, you know, there's still not that many people who turn off JavaScript. And so just by turning off JavaScript, it prevents the site from being able to find out a lot of things about me, which is interesting. But at the same time, it also makes it <laughs> a little bit easier to uniquely identify me. Okay. And I'm going to just point out one other element that will pretty much uniquely identify you if you do this the way I do. They have a list of fonts. My list of fonts matches 0.01% of people. Now, if you only use the stock fonts that come with your Mac, your PC, whatever, you'll match a lot of people. But I have a number of fonts that I've added over the years that clients have sent me for different projects um, that I've got for different reasons. And I don't really use many of the hundreds of fonts. It says, in fact, it lists a number of them plus 203 others. And I don't use many of them, but I have used some in the past. 
it's pretty clear that most people will never have exactly the same font collection if they have more than the default. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people will just install one font because they need it for a particular project and then they leave it installed. Right. I mean, normally you don't really think of that as being a problem. You might need to use it again in the future. But um, interestingly, yeah, that's yet another thing that sometimes websites can use to uniquely identify you. So this is what browser fingerprinting means. And a, a website can grab all this data and create a profile for the person who matches all this data and hence identify you when you come back, when you go to other websites, etc. And this is definitely something, a lot of this information the, the website needs to know, like which audio and video codecs will work to be able to provide rich media content. But a lot of the stuff they don't need, and it would be good if browsers can hide some of this. Right, which is one of the things that Safari is trying to do with its uh, intelligent tracking prevention um, but you know, as you saw, I mean, you're using Safari to go to this website and it still says that they're able to uniquely identify you. Right. So it, so, you know, all these protections, uh, even apples, you know, they're not perfect. They may help a little bit, but there's still, it's still possible in many cases to uniquely identify you and track you across websites. Okay, another reader question. Let's do this one really quickly because I think you have a simple answer. Um, a reader wrote in saying that uh, he or she has used some terminal commands to block the zombie load CPU flaw and doesn't know if this has any impact on the Spectre variance CPU flaws. You mentioned an app a few episodes ago that can do this, so you don't even have to worry about terminal commands, right? Right. Um, and to directly answer the question, so the, the, the question is, can, if I, essentially, if I turn off hyper-threading, then will my Mac be immune to the zombie load CPU flaw and others like it, uh, Spectre and Meltdown? And the answer is that um, essentially, yes, that's the short answer, um, is that uh, really hyper-threading is what enables all of these flaws. And so by turning off hyper-threading, then you're protected from those flaws. Now, you obviously if you are running programs that rely on hyperthreading for speed increases, then those programs are going to run at probably, you know, significantly lower speed than they normally would. So that is a trade-off obviously, but um, what you can do, and as you, you mentioned, Kirk, there's an app that you can run that um, will effectively do this for you on the fly without having to, run a terminal command and, in you know, worry about your NVRAM and all those crazy, you know, uh, geeky things. It's much easier to use CPU setter, which is a freeware app. Uh, well, except donations, donationware, I guess you could say CPU setter, um, will allow you to on the fly turn off hyper threading so that if you, say, want to use a, a program that uses hyper-threading that relies on it, you can turn it on temporarily while you're using that program and then turn it back off when you're done using that program. So that's actually the the what I suggest and what I am using instead of using that arcane terminal command that requires you to reboot and all that kind of stuff. Okay, we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, we don't talk about politics on the show, but we do want to mention uh, a recent story that some government officials have been meeting uh, to decide whether to seek legislation, I'm quoting from an article on Politico, prohibiting tech companies from using forms of encryption that law enforcement can't break. Uh, So this is what we call end-to-end encryption, when the data that's on your computer or your iOS device is encrypted before it leaves the device all across the internet until it gets to the final server. 
and in some cases stays encrypted on the server. Um, you think of iMessage, where messages are encrypted at the source and they're decrypted when your recipient gets the message so they can read it. The thing about end-to-end encryption is if we didn't have end-to-end encryption, you could not do banking on the web. You could not do secure uh, e-commerce. And so what the government is talking about is about having a backdoor, which Josh will go into this a little bit more without getting too geeky on this stuff because public key encryption is crazy, um, is, is having a special key that the government could use. But if they have that, that means that someone's going to get the key and someone's going to get access to a way of cracking your ability to bank securely, to buy things from Amazon and other retailers. And, and this comes up from time to time. And so currently in the U.S., Supposedly, there have been some talks about, you know, cracking down on end-to-end encryption. And I think most of the time what these legislators who don't usually know very much about technology and how it works, a lot of times what they think they mean by that is we want to prevent somebody from being able to have a completely off-the-record conversation, you know, from one individual to another. That's that's what they're thinking of. And they're particularly thinking this is something that terrorists do, right? And they're not thinking that, you know, this is actually something that every time we go to uh, our bank's website, we have an end-to-end, uh, you know, encrypted connection from one point to the other. Um, so the idea of cracking down and into an encryption is sort of, um, it, it, it shows a lack of understanding, I think on the part of, of many legislators and, um, we, we rely on, on into an encryption as, as you, as you mentioned, Kirk, it's, it's an important part of e-commerce. Um, it's an important way to make sure that, uh, you know, as an individual, our, our, Financial information, our personally identifiable information is not leaking and becoming exposed to the public. Um, Encryption is really important and we need to do it right. And that means we need into an encryption. Um, So when when it comes to, you know, governments wanting to crack down on that, I think there's uh, obviously a misunderstanding there of what encryption is and how it should be used and how you can't really just decide, well, I'm going to get rid of certain types of encryption because I don't like the way that that works. Now, they could try to require that apps like iMessage and WhatsApp are not encrypted. That could be a way of doing it. But would you trust iMessage? I mean, okay, you send a text to your wife, get bread and milk before you come home. That's not really serious. But you probably send some other um, important information over iMessage. You may say, okay, I'm leaving the house at this time. You know, if someone was able to sniff that, they could get information about you that could be dangerous. So if we weaken that type of messaging, would that be a compromise? And everyone who wants to be secure would have to find another way because the problem is they'll just go and find another app or another website. Or I don't know if you know this trick that um, some people, they'll sign into the same Google account, the same Gmail account, and they'll write emails and leave them in the drafts folder. So they're not even sending them to someone. <laughs> and it's it, it doesn't matter if it's encrypted or not, because it's not going to a given person, right? Right. Yeah, there have actually even been government employees who've been caught uh, doing that to try to, try to hide things. Um, yeah, so there, there's lots of ways around this. And, and like you said, if one method, you know, is taken away, as, as a secure, you know, method of communication between two individuals, then, 
you know, someone will just find another way to do it. It's, that's the problem is, is it's a, it's a cat and mouse game. And if you're trying to, and if you're trying to get ahead of this and, you know, and just putting a ban on it, you know, across the board, it's not really going to work because there will always be some other app or some other technology that someone can use to get around it. Or some other country that hasn't banned encryption. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can get an app from another country and unless say the U S you know, decides that it wants to block a website because they're distributing an app, which I mean, the U S hasn't done things like that in the past. It would be a scary sign if the U S decided to start doing things like that to prevent you from being able to get apps from wherever you want. Okay. We're going to take a break and we've got some more interesting news stories to come. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac, or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 50%. That's PODCAST19 to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So before the show, as we were looking over the um, links and show notes that we had prepared, um, I said to Josh about an article he had put into the show notes, didn't we talk about that a couple of weeks ago? And he said, no, but it looks really familiar because we just get the same things over and over. It's like that, that saying the history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. So this time we have a 17-year-old weakness in Firefox that lets HTML files steal other files from a device. Yeah, so <laughs> so this is the kind of thing that you hope that that doesn't exist in all of the the software that we use, you know, or these long-standing vulnerabilities that uh, you know, once they're uncovered, it's kind of like, "Oh man, like <laughs> for, how did if, that happen?" Yeah, how did that happen? And people have theoretically been able to use that to attack me for all this time. And uh, hopefully, you know, nobody else knew about this besides the, you know, the researcher who recently encountered this. Uh, So this is one of those things where um, if you are using Firefox, you want to make sure you've got the latest version of Firefox that patches this vulnerability. Um, But yeah, essentially this would... Uh, this exploited the file colon slash slash scheme. Most websites, of course, are using HTTP or HTTPS. Um, but your browser can also use certain other protocols. Um, one of the 
uh, URI uniform resource identifier schemes um, that it can use is file colon slash slash. And it uses Right, that. and you can use this to drag a local HTML file from your Mac into your browser window and open it, a PDF file, a text file. Your browser can open a lot of files. You can play MP3 files. Right, exactly. So the, the, there's uh, any HTML file that you've got on your computer, you can just double click it. And most of the time it'll open in a browser by default and probably Safari if you haven't changed your default browser. And in Safari or, or Firefox or Chrome will show you that page, even though the page is actually just being loaded from your hard drive. It's not being loaded from a website. Um, and so there was a weakness in the way that browser or the, the Firefox browser in particular was uh, able to do these uh, file requests that um, allowed for attackers to theoretically steal files from from your device, um, which is uh, is kind of crazy, a little bit scary. Um, and 17 years old. Yeah. As a matter of fact, so I, I, I mentioned that normally the way to fix this is just patch your browser. Um, but this article on the Hacker News says Firefox is not going to patch it anytime soon. And uh, so there was a researcher who um, responsibly disclosed this to Mozilla, the company that makes Firefox. And, uh, and he says that Mozilla responded saying, our implementation of the same origin policy allows every file colon slash slash URL to get access to files in the same folder and subfolders. Um, so basically they're saying that is actually working the way that it should. And so if somebody is exploiting that, uh, well, they shouldn't be doing it that way. <laughs> kind of what it sounds like they're saying. Talking about opening HTML files from your computer. Do you remember back in the day when we didn't have bandwidth and we would download entire websites and then the, the URLs and the websites would change from HTTP to just file colon slash slash to be local URLs. So this is something that was relatively common um, 17 years ago to open local files, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I suppose it's probably something that uh, people still do on occasion to save a, a website to their drive and, and open it later. For example, you might want to do this if you're going to be traveling someplace where you're not going to have internet connectivity. And you want to check Wikipedia, you might as well just download all of Wikipedia to your <laughs> website. Didn't Wikipedia once distribute, maybe by BitTorrent, the entire content of Wikipedia in HTML? I don't know. We're, we're, I, we're straying I, here. I remember there being some discussions about, yeah, making uh, Wikipedia available in offline formats. But uh, yeah, obviously, it's a little big to be able to do that reliably now. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Fast Company had an interesting article, and this raises a question that we discussed some months ago, it says, here's the next big step Apple should take to protect our privacy. Uh, the subheading of this article is, using a VPN is a must, yet they're often finicky and you never know which one to trust. Apple can fix all that. And I think I mentioned that when we were talking about a potential Apple bundle. Um, Intego partners with CyberGhost, which is an excellent VPN. It's the one that uh, I use and I think you use. But imagine if Apple did have that and defaulted to a VPN, that would increase security. Of course, the U.S. government wouldn't like it because that's end-to-end encryption. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. So so a VPN, as we've talked about, we've have, we have whole episodes talking about why to use a VPN, um, which, of course, we'll put in the show notes. And a VPN has a lot of uh, really important use cases, especially when it comes to, uh, to privacy. And 
So having a VPN built in um, would make a lot of sense for a company that, as Apple does, you know, they, they say that privacy is really important to them and they want to make sure that they're protecting their users' privacy. So one of the great ways that they could theoretically do that is by including a VPN uh, as, you know, either built into the operating system or as part of a subscription service. Um, so that all of their customers can potentially have access to this. Um, and, and just one example briefly is say you're on a public Wi-Fi hotspot in a place that does not require you to put in a password to connect to Wi-Fi. Um, in that scenario, you've got, um, essentially a, a wide open network that, um, has really no security when it comes to other people being on the same Wi-Fi network as you are. Uh, it makes it very easy for other people who are on that same Wi-Fi network to sniff traffic and potentially even do things that are worse than that. Um, they could impersonate you just by you logging into a website where they're not using HTTPS. Uh, among other things, just cash poisoning and all kinds of horrible things that can happen. Just that sounds pretty evil. <laughs> yeah, pretty evil. It's right. So uh, th- because of things like this, it's important for somebody to be able to use a VPN to um, just create a secure encrypted tunnel that just goes from your computer to outside of the network. So there's not an opportunity for anything on your local network to be able to uh, sniff, you know, to spy on what you're doing or to poison your queries or things like that. Um, so a VPN is very important when it comes to, uh, you know, public access to the, to the internet, um, especially when you've, you're talking about an insecure Wi-Fi network. Um, so if Apple were to bundle something like this in, um, that's great. I mean, that really helps a lot. If, if you, um, you know, say you're using your iPhone at Starbucks or McDonald's or wherever you like to frequent that might have open Wi-Fi, um, you want to make sure that what you're doing when you're on that network is secure, that people aren't able to spy on you. And um, that would be a great way for Apple to uh, to bundle something in that none of the other manufacturers or operating system makers are really doing at this point. But none of them have the same package of services, with the exception perhaps of Google. Uh, Google could include that in, say, their their G Suite uh, accounts, the the paid Google accounts. Uh, that's actually something that would be quite popular for businesses. It's mostly businesses uh, who pay for G Suite accounts, so any individual can. Um, Microsoft could with Office 365, but Office 365 doesn't have the same range of services. Um, but I, I bet someone's going to do it soon, one of the big companies, because it's just, it's the kind of thing that they can defend by saying how much better things are for you. Right. Yeah. There's no downside. There's, there's no negative to, to offering a VPN to people. Well, <laughs> right, not not for the end user certainly. And and that's what I mean, yeah. Y- yeah, the challenge for the, the for a company that wants to do this for a really huge user base is you're going to have to have uh, an infrastructure that can handle all of those new potential users of that service. Um, now Apple, obviously, you know, they've got more money than anybody else in the world. Um, so they could certainly invest the money into building a VPN infrastructure that's going to be very robust and able to handle a lot of u- new users. 
But is it any more complicated than just going to Amazon's web services and setting up some virtual machines and containers and turning them on? There's scaling that needs to be done in order to have them all work together at the same time. Right. But I'm sure it can all be done with virtualization. It doesn't need a new data center someplace. Well, and depending on what you you want your VPN to do, um, you may need you know exit nodes uh, in multiple countries. So if somebody wants to to be uh, in the UK and 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 make it look like they're in the US, then you would need a server located in the US, if and vice versa. So um, you may, depending on what you want your VPN service to do, you may need to right. have servers set up in many many different countries that possibly go beyond what Amazon or any of these other um, hosting companies uh, w- where they have their servers located. Okay, last story for today. It's time for another Amazon Alexa story. Aha. Boys and girls, gather around the campfire, and here we're going to talk about Amazon Alexa keeping your customer voice recordings. And we mentioned this in the past. Now it turns out that Amazon keeps Alexa customer voice recordings forever, unless you know how to delete them manually. I'm sure they don't make it easy. I will not have an Amazon Echo device in my house. I know you do, um, but this is kind of creepy, isn't it? I mean... This is on in your house all the time while you're doing everything. This is like Big Brother stuff. Well, it sounds bad. And, and of course, the reason why uh, Amazon does this is ostensibly, they, they say, it's because they need to make sure that they can analyze that and go back in time and, and make sure that things that they've done in the past that people have reported as maybe not being accurate that they can reanalyze and and sort of make sure that their systems are as effective as possible at understanding what it is that you're asking for and how to interpret that so i mean Sure. You could say that it makes sense for Amazon to do that for those reasons. But at the same time, do we really want everything that might have been picked up in some cases accidentally by your your Echo device? Uh, Do we really want all those things stored indefinitely? Uh, now, Amazon says you can opt out of it, well, to some degree. They say, although you may be able to, to uh, ask for these recordings to be deleted, there's certain other information that they will still keep uh, in their records. Amazon told ZDNet, uh, quote, we may still retain other records of customers' Alexa interactions, including records of actions Alexa took in response to the customer's request. That's the end of their quote. So, so there's other things that they're going to retain, even if you ask to have certain recordings removed um, they, they're still keeping other information because they have to, they say, in order to like make sure their services are working right. Yeah, I don't trust it. I won't have one of those devices. I don't keep, I don't keep Siri on on my devices. I press a button to activate Siri. I press the crown on my watch or a button on the side of my phone. Um, I don't want something listened to me all the time. But Kirk, you have a HomePod though, right? I have two HomePods in my bedroom. I have a pair and I have Siri turned off on them. Ah, okay. okay. And the last place I want someone listening to me is in the bedroom. <laughs> right. That's like the creepiest of all. Yeah, it is. Okay. Well, that's enough for this week. It's summer, so we might have some slow news in the next couple of months. So we're going to find a couple of topics that we can do deep dives on um, to give you detailed information about some of the most important security features and risks that you face. Until next week, Josh, stay very secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security. 
with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>